Hello and welcome to this week's Bible in the News. This week we join an exciting Christadelphian Bible talk given in Nottingham in the UK on Wednesday the 8th of December 2021. The talk is entitled 2021 Signs of the Times and gives an overview of some of the recent events connected to the Bible's prophecies that have to do with the state of the nations just before the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Before the talk, Ezekiel chapter 38 was read as an introduction. Let's join the talk now. Good evening, brothers and sisters, young people, friends. It is wonderful to be back in Nottingham with you all. And we've missed you all dearly since uh, moving away. Slightly surreal with you all sat there in face masks. I don't think that was the case last time I stood on this platform, but it's still nonetheless lovely to be with you all. And wonderful to open the scriptures together this evening because we live in unprecedented times. We have obviously COVID-19 running rampant around the world. We're all wearing the face masks. We're worried about Omnicom, the variants, the lockdowns, travel restrictions. It's a nightmare, isn't it? But we've also got unstable economies, supply chains that are gridlocked, trade up in the air, energy crisis looming, political unrest. We've got Russia poised to invade Europe in Ukraine, nations on the verge of war. Instability is everywhere, isn't it? And yet we know that God is in control, that God is at work in the kingdoms of men, that God is at work in our lives And how grateful and thankful we are for the great hope of salvation that we have had revealed to us through God's word. Because, goodness gracious me, where would we be without it, brothers and sisters? They're they're in a mess, aren't they, out there in this world? Maybe we could uh, begin by actually opening our Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Because at the end of the Jewish era, the Lord Jesus Christ had a message for the believers, or at least for the enlightened people of his day. And the message is still relevant to you and me. Now, uh, those of us living, the enlightened community, at the end of the Gentile era, the times of the Gentiles. And look what the Lord says. So if we're in Matthew 16, we have the, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They come and they tempt him and they say that he would show them a sign from heaven. And you meet people like that sometimes, don't you? Like, why do you believe in a God? You must be, you must have lost your mind. You know, science, all this stuff. Why do you believe in a God? Show me a sign that your God exists. You know, and some of them mock, don't they? And, oh, strike me down and all this stuff. But here we have the Lord's response to such a foolish and a stupid question. He answered and said unto them, verse 2, When it is evening, ye say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? And that's our subject for this evening, for the next few minutes. Because we know that we can forecast the weather can't we I think they're getting better at it let's be honest but you know still a bit with a bit of variance but we still forecast the weather is it going to rain today we look on our phones don't we a little bit different to Jesus day but the principle is the same they can forecast the, 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 the weather and we trust that forecast and we behave and act differently if we know it's raining going to rain we pick a brolly up if we know it's going to be a bit chilly we put our scarf on And so our behaviour changes according to what we recognise happening in the weather, the natural weather around us. And the Lord's saying, you're hypocrites because you'll do that. You'll trust the forecast because the sky's red. But you're not discerning the signs of the times. And we know, brothers and sisters, where we are in the prophetic timetable. We're very blessed to have had the word of God expounded for us. We understand we're right at the end. In the latter days, as we read with Brother Dave, we're going to look at Ezekiel 38 in a minute. And the great thing about the time we get to spend today is that, like it was in Jesus' time, we can see the signs of the times coming. And the question, the exhortation, the the burning uh, kind of uh, issue is whether we, 
are going to change our behaviour and our actions to be in accordance with what we understand from Scripture. So that we're not going to be like hypocrites, and I'm sure we don't want to be. And we all have things in our lives and trials and problems, don't we all? And so our exhortation is to, is to change. And of course, I was down in Nottingham today and I went past there and I took a, took a little pop across just to see, uh, see where it all began. Because it's amazing to be here with you in Nottingham. And I know, um, you know we've talked about this in the past, but of course this is where our community it really started here with Brother Thomas's talks down at the, uh, what were they called, the, the uh, common rooms, was it? The assembly rooms. The assembly rooms down there in town, just up from Marks and Spencer. Um, and um, thanks to uh, Brother John for sending these to me yonks ago. But we have the, uh, the, the cuttings in the paper of what Brother Thomas was speaking about. And what he was speaking about was the signs of the times, the destinies of the nations. And that's what whipped our community in exist- into existence. That what, that's what excited people. Yes, they had the gospel, but what gave them the faith to step aside from mainstream Christianity and to say this is the truth, was Bible prophecy, was one of the key things. And that was nearly 170 years ago. And you think, 170 years is a long time. But you think of where we are. When we go through these signs of the times in a minute, I'm going to go through some of the stuff that's been happening. You think what our early brothers and sisters, how excited they would be if they were in our shoes seeing some of the things that we have witnessed and are witnessing right up to this very year. And uh, I think that's an incredible exhortation for us not to lose sight of the wonderful things. And obviously we all live busy lives, right, with kids and school and college and work and marriage and all the rest of that stuff. And we're all busy, so it, but it is important, isn't it, to remind ourselves of these great things. So when we turn back to Ezekiel chapter 38, um, like we read with Brother Dave just a second ago, we know where we are in the the prophecy. You know, it's a wonderful prophecy when you break it down. You've got the the call of the prophet in the first few chapters. Then you've got the prophet's kind of ministry, if you like, his prophecies against Judah and Jerusalem. And uh, remember the message like they were going to be um, destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, Jeremiah, uh, sorry, Ezekiel there, um, was, was going around obviously preaching. A, 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 he was actually in Babylon and he was preaching for the, the enlightened community in Babylon. And they were still, some of them, in Jerusalem. And so that message went out to them. And then we have prophecies specifically against the nations from chapters 25 to 32. Various prophecies. And then chapters 33 to 39 is prophecies regarding Israel's future restoration. And then finally... Prophecies relating to the kingdom of God being restored on the earth. And of course, Ezekiel 38 slots right in there in regards to Israel's future restoration. And you know the common theme when you get to the back end of these chapters, don't you? And it was there in our chapter, if you're there, right at the end in verse 23. And they shall know that I am Yahweh. This is the time. When the ignorant people outside that live in darkness will finally appreciate the God that created them. The God that gives them life and food and warmth and breath. The God that they've been neglecting and ignoring and pretending isn't there. They will know after these events unfold. And when you go through Ezekiel, just as a little side when we get to it in our readings, just look for that phrase. And then they shall know. The nations know. Israel know. And it's wonderful when you, when you see it. So that's the thing. Now, when we get to Ezekiel 38, relating to the prophecies about Israel being restored. And isn't it remarkable, by the way, Ezekiel here is prophesying 600 or so BC. And Israel is about to be completely scattered by the, by the Babylonians and taken to, into captivity. And God chooses Ezekiel at that time to preach to the faithful and to say to them, look, it's not always going to be that way. There's a future restoration. And the detail here, I would suggest to you, wasn't actually for the people of that day. Because this would happen, obviously, far into the future when Ezekiel was prophesying. And as the enlightened community living in this time period, it seems to me reasonable to conclude that God and his love and his mercy caused these things to be penned for us to appreciate. 
Otherwise, what would, the, what would the point of his inspiration be? Because it would be almost slightly meaningless to the people of the day. And these are our signs of our times for us to hang on to and to appreciate. Now, as you go through the chapter, there's three key groups. There's obviously the aggressors in verses 1 through 6, Gog and his bands. We then have the defenders or the people of Israel. We're mentioned in verse 8 and verse 12 specifically. And we have the bystanders mentioned in verse 13. And they're all sets of nations. We note that these aggressors attack from the north, verse 15. We note that they're a confederacy of nations all together, verses 1 through, through 9 really. We note that God acts to eventually save Israel in verses 18 to 23. And we know that at the end, as we've mentioned, the ultimate climax of the prophecy, the reason for the prophecy is to explain to us it's at that point that they shall know that I am Yahweh. And we know, as we've mentioned many times before, in verse 8, we have this special phrase, the latter years, or in the Hebrew, the latter days. It's mentioned there again in verse 16, the latter days. And we know, because we believe in inspiration and that the Bible has come from one source, that therefore we can look at that phrase in other parts of the Bible and we find that there's a unison of, amongst the prophets in what this time period is all about. And it's all about the restoration of the people of Israel back to their land, the latter days. So from, from our perspective, that's 1948 onwards. We're in this time when Israel has been re- restored as a nation. And we know as well that we can harmonise this prophecy with other what we call Armageddon prophecies. Revelation 16, Joel 3, Zechariah 12:14, and Daniel 11. Now we're not going to do that all tonight. We're going to stay mainly in Ezekiel 38. Um, and we're going to just uh, ponder and think about the signs of our times. Now... We mentioned there's this aggressive force, this mysterious character, as we know, we're very familiar with in verse 2, this Gog of the land of Magog, the, the prince of Rosh, Meshach and Tubal, as verse 2 should be rendered. Now, there's obviously a debate as to where exactly these nations come from, but we're not going to go into that in huge depth this evening. I might reference a couple of talks in a minute where we do, we have done that, some from this very platform. Um, but let's notice what, and we believe, of course, this is the, the Rus speaks of the Russian peoples. And uh, Meshach and Tubal are Russian territories. And then we have the other, th- the other names mentioned in, in the passage. And so we look for a dominant Russia with a powerful military. We look for all these nations uniting together against Israel. That would be would you not say, quite a fair reflection of the prophetic requirements of the chapter. And as we've mentioned, you know, really, that uh, that word there, chief, should be um, translated as a proper noun, a proper name, and it's it's the word rosh. Now, as we say, we might just, if, you were, if you've never looked at this before, um, there was um, a talk. I actually looked it up. Do you know, it's remarkable, brothers and sisters, that talk that we gave here in 2018, it's had, I think it's over 250,000 views on YouTube, which I found absolutely staggering. Testament to the fact that people are interested in prophecy. So, and the comments are really interesting. If you get a chance, have a look at it. It's fascinating. Um, so there's that there. There's obviously Brother John Alfrey's book as well. If you're interested on Ezekiel, he goes through a lot of the, the evidence as well of where these countries and these, these peoples, these ancient peoples um, come from and are. Now they're given in their ancient name, but when we look that up, we can find where they are on the map. And so we have Central Europe. We have, of course, Russia. We've got the Turkic nations, we've got Iran and, and Persia is mentioned there, and we've got some North African nations in Libya and Ethiopia. And so when we you know, broad brush the territories, we get that mass of peoples that come and their armies come against Israel in the latter days. And you know, we've done this before, but where when you study, say for example, Daniel chapter 2, you realise that that, the, that the, if you put all the territories of those ancient empires of the kingdom of men down, you realise this is a reuniting of all those people that sat in all of those territories 
Um, and um, and we, we note, don't we, in Daniel chapter 2, how the stone comes and breaks all of the, 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 the metals together. And that's what Daniel sees. An image stood up like a, the, the kingdom of men in all its pride. And the stone power, which we know speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ, coming and breaking them all in pieces and replacing the kingdom of men with the kingdom of God. And what's the time period that Daniel is speaking about? Why? The latter days. And so we appreciate the harmony of scripture, don't we? You know, this is Brother Thomas's famous quote. When Russia makes its grand move for the building up of its image empire, then let the reader know that the end of all things as at present constituted is at hand. So let's have a look at Russia, the Rosh here in, in uh, verse 2, the, the one that Gog seems to be the leader of. Now we're not saying Vladimir Putin is Gog, we don't know for sure who Gog is, it's a mysterious kind of name. But think about this from a prophetic perspective. What a, let's take a step back from our everyday lives and just have a think about it. You know, 2008, Russia went into Georgia. 2014, they, were, they invaded parts of eastern Ukraine and took over those, those eastern parts. 2014, they also took over Crimea. September 2015, they went into Syria, didn't they? And by all accounts, they're about to... That shouldn't say September, that should just say 2022. They are about to come into western Ukraine. And this is what the, the media outlets are saying. Is Putin preparing for war? He's haunted by the fall of the Soviet Union. He's using the pandemic, the climate crisis and migration and looming conflict to turn chaos into power. Apparently, the Ukrainian officials are saying that, that Russia will invade them in the new year, next year. News outlets are reporting a massive build-up of troops. I think the last count was there was over 90,000 troops full of cutting-edge military technology massing on the border with Europe. And so much so that, that actually, this was from today, you can see it says 33 minutes ago, that wasn't 33 minutes from now, that was whenever I looked it up this afternoon or something, but they just, Biden had had a meeting, I think it was yesterday, with, uh, with Putin and warned him, basically, if you do this, we're going to put some sanctions on you. Whether that will deter him or not is history will tell. But we can see there that there's massive concern. And of course the problem is, is that, that NATO, which used to be part of that Western alliance, including the US, and including Britain, is not as strong politically as it used to be. And so Russia there is, is, is going to be testing that, it would seem, that alliance. And that's what Lat the Latvian uh, official has just said, just earlier this month, was a couple of days ago, NATO not sending a clear signal would mean glue that keeps us together has failed, says Foreign Minister. Now we've got to ask ourselves the question, this is just a question, I'm not a political, I don't have any inside information, but you've got to ask yourself the question, do you think the US would really want a full-blown conflict and support all their European friends over in NATO? You know, Trump said he wasn't that keen anymore, they weren't paying into the pot as much as America. So it's just something to think about, like when you look at the geopolitics of our day, if Russia was to step in, it would be an interesting test of NATO and whether that would stack up, it would, it would be possibly unlikely. And of course, that's what we'd expect. We expect Russia here to be dominating the European, the European powers. We've got them there, Goma mentioned, Magog mentioned. These are European powers. So we expect Goma and Magog to, to be underneath the, uh, the influence of Russia at the time when, um, when, it, when this prophecy is fulfilled. There's loads of stuff in this. It's interesting to think, well, why does Russia want to go into Ukraine? You know, aren't they happy enough? They've got enough landmass. But no, they want, they want Ukraine. I'll just read you a couple of bits out of this. Um, as Putin speaks on Tuesday, that was only yesterday with Biden, Western analysts have likened his focus on Kiev to an obsession, while Russians have said Putin believes it his duty to reserve Ukraine's path toward the to reverse Ukraine's path toward the West. And that's what happened, you know. Ukraine sort of split out from the Soviet Union and they started looking to the EU rather than, than to Russia for support. And Russia's not happy about that. They kind of see it as part of their people, like part of their territory. And so we've got here another 
quote that we'll, we'll just reference. In June, Putin published an article in which he doubled down on a public claim that Russians and Ukrainians were one people, saying the formation of an ethnically Ukrainian state hostile to Moscow was comparable in its consequences to the use of weapons of mass destruction against us. He still believes Ukraine is a kind of conspiracy, a kind of aberration, said an expert. It's all about Slavic unity, about trying to get Ukraine away from Russia. And I believe it's all sitting deep in his mind, which you can read from his very different statements. So isn't that interesting that that we have this autocratic leader, if you like, thinking that he needs to get back control of, in his paradigm, his people, and that there's some amongst them that should be um, taken back and, and, and put under control. And so I just think that's absolutely fascinating, particularly because when you go back through history and you look at the, the people of the Rus or the Rosh, right, the people of the Rus, they first pop up in history uh, around 900 AD and they're called the Kievian Rus. And from them, the peoples like of Russia and Belarus have come. And so it would be fitting, wouldn't it, that Russia starts its claim back to, to get those people back under its, under its control. And it's already done it in Crimea. It's already done it with eastern Ukraine. It's just what's next that we're looking at. You know, and as I say, they've got cutting edge technology. This was only last month. Putin blew up a satellite to prove and to test his new toys, his new missiles, which can knock out satellites. So you imagine in the West, they're all governed by the way that the satellites control. You know, we have it on our sat-nav, we're obviously civilians, but the military also use that stuff. And when they take them out, that causes, it could cause great problems for um, Western, um, you know, military. Now, Brother Thomas, again, wrote this in Elpis Israel. He said, by turning to a map of Europe and Asia, the reader may trace out the territory of the kingdom of Babylon, the head of gold in Daniel 2, as it is destined to exist in its last form under the king of the north. And he's referencing there Daniel 11, which is a prophecy, uh, one of those aligned prophecies that we talked about. Under... Its last form under the kingdom of the north in his Gogian manifestation. So the Gog that we read of here. The names of the countries furnished by Ezekiel will lead him to a just conception of its general extent. Besides all the Russias, it will take in Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Holland, Belgium, France, Spain, Portugal, Italy, Switzerland, Germany, Prussia, Austria, Turkey, Persia, Tartary, Greece, the Roman Africa and Egypt. This will be a dominion of great magnitude extending from the north wall of China and Afghanistan and from the ice sea to the deserts of Africa and Arabia. So Brother Thomas saw that extent of that, those peoples ultimately coming under the control of Russia. And he mentions there, notice, specifically Afghanistan. Now that's fascinating because this year Afghanistan has been in the news again, hasn't it? You might remember September 11th, 2001, those of us that were around, I know there's some of us in the back of the hall that perhaps were not around in 2001, Um, And there was the terrorist attacks on the Twin Towers. And then, of course, the US led that coalition. They began to to, to attack the Taliban in Afghanistan. And um, they killed Osama bin Laden, the big leader, uh, in 2011. And then they've stayed there, haven't they? They're trying to build up that that country again. Um, But only last year, Trump signed a withdrawal deal with the Taliban. And so this year, finally, the US pull out. And the Taliban swept through and took quick control, didn't they? Which shocked a lot of people in the West. And who's sweeping in? Who wasn't legging it out of Afghanistan? Well, the Russians were not legging it out of Afghanistan. In fact, the Russians were very keen to start doing doing some kind of diplomacy with the Taliban. And so we read here, when the US and the European governments raced to get their citizens and Afghan colleagues out of Kabul this week, Russia was one of very few countries not visibly alarmed by the Taliban takeover. Russian diplomats described the new men in town as normal guys and argued that the capital was safer now than before. President Vladimir Putin said on Friday that the Taliban's takeover was a reality they had to work with. 
And so we have Russia holding high-profile Afghan talks with the Taliban, Moscow getting in there with them, with Kabul, as we'd expect from Bible prophecy. And when we look to other parts of the Confederacy, let's look at Iran now. We've got, um, obviously, an interesting um, situation with the Iranians still really hating um, America. They call them the big Satan because America tinkered with their politics quite well, by all accounts, quite poorly, really. Right back in, uh, in, in just at 1979, it caused a big revolution, the Iranian revolution. And then from that, Hezbollah was created. And of course, they're over in Lebanon. And what it was, was they had such a hatred of America, they called America the big Satan. And uh, they see Israel as a proxy of America. So they call Israel the little Satan. And they hate them. And so there's this kind of uh, antagonism between the Iranians and the Israelis. They want to push Israel into the sea. They, they don't think they should be there. They believe in a Muslim kind of territory all over that area. And so what we find is that, that as that kind of developed, we also find Russia in there with the Iranians. Um, and we find them helping with the nuclear program. We see trade deals between Russia and Iran coming around in the 2000s. We see them become military allies in the Syrian civil war, which we'll mention in a minute. We see sanctions from Europe and America going on both Russia and Iran. So they're both kind of out in the cold, if you like. And then we, so we f- see them doing more business together. We see Iran set to join the EEU, which is a confederacy of, of Russian nations, a trait like the EU, but in, uh, in, um, in Asia. And then we see um, just recently real loads of increased visits and diplomacy between Iran and Russia. They're close, close allies. They helped each other with, Russia was helping them with a COVID vaccine and all sorts. And so Russia, we find them taking Iran's side with the, uh, around sanctions against Iran. So fascinating stuff. And by the way, if you're interested, and I, I didn't know if any of our Iranian brothers and sisters would be here, but I thought I'd just reference this. We did a talk just last year on Iran in Bible prophecy. So if you want to know more of the depth of that and how God's been working with that nation, um, have a look online at that talk. And as we say, they've been really getting close to Russia. They've been holding uh, military drills with them and China in, the, in just, the, just this year. We've seen them, um, actually, Iran had a load of oil and gas that they found. And uh, who's there doing a deal with them? The prior, primary mover is Russia there. They deal with, on Iran's multi-trillion dollar Calius gas field as a final act of securing control over the European energy market. So these things are all going on. That was just in November last month. They've done this deal. Russia is going to help them get the gas out. They're going to own the gas and and transfer it. We've got another field, Caspian gas field. Iran's Caspian gas field and Russia's share far bigger than expected. And so we find Russia tapping into Iran's gas. And here we have the Express, obviously, you know, known for its sensationalist titles, Putin sounds alarm bells after seizing control of gas in final act to secure Europe. And you see, the Russians control all the energy coming into Europe. And so, of course, it's very interesting when we come to Ukraine, because they're saying we're going to put sanctions on you, Russia. Well, Russia just has to say, well, okay, we'll just turn the tap off, see how you like the cold this winter. So we'll see how it goes, won't we? And when we turn our attention to Europe, we know we've obviously had Brexit, mention that in a minute. But we've got them slowly waking up to the fact that Russia is an aggressive military force. And they're thinking about NATO, which glued them together, as that expert mentioned, or that Latvian uh, uh, um, politician mentioned earlier. NATO's slowly crumbling. Like, the American, Americans don't really want to get in, involved and entangled in conflicts. And Europe, of course, doesn't officially have an army, because they've, they're, they're kind of pooling all their resources. And so what we find is, as actually that is starting to take shape now, there are many more calls for this European army to take place. And it would make sense, wouldn't it? Because we believe that that this army, you see, that comes down, it has military people from all of these nations in it. 
And so, although they're not united now, it would be fitting, wouldn't it, for them to to begin to have a military presence. And as we've mentioned, there's this huge reliance on Russian oil and gas. So have a look at this. The EU wants to be a global superpower, but it has Russia to contend with. Russia cuts gas to Europe and amasses military on Western borders. You know, this is all happening. The, the control, the dominance of, a, of an aggressive Russia. Why Russia's gas supplies mean Vladimir Putin will play a key role in the Europe energy crisis this winter. And if he turns that off, it's, it's not fun, is it? You, EU army looking likely after foreign policy chief pushes towards ambitious plans. The forming of an EU army is looking ever more likely after the bloc's foreign policy chief, Joseph Borrell, pushed forward an ambitious military doctrine on Wednesday. Europe is in danger, the former Spanish foreign minister warned, as he calls for agreement on his guide to action, which would see the development of an emergency military force by 2025. Might be a little late. A little late for controlling or, or keeping Russia at bay. Macron sets out his 10-year vision for the EU with call for more integration. That was, that was the other year, last year. And so we can see them pooling their resources, as we'd expect from our understanding of prophecy, particularly in the book of Revelation. And we see them uniting together. Now, obviously, they're, they're not quite there yet, are they? There's a little variance because we expect them to be united with Russia. We expect Russia to be dominant because they're the leaders of this pact, but they're not quite there yet, but we can see it moving there. Germany's new leaders want to reform the EU, and they're all looking to kind of unite together. EU sees decisive moment for building single capital market. So it's all happening. And then when we look at Syria, what's happening with Russia and Syria? Well, we know what happened in 2011. There was the civil war between um, Assad, the government, and um, you know, the, the rebels, if you like, the opposition. NATO decided to launch strikes against ISIS, which were also operating in the region. We had the massive refugee crisis. Russia comes in and supports Assad. And the, the NATO, some of the NATO alliances were against Assad. So it became a bit of a proxy war. We know that US, the US launches attacks on, on the Syrian government after there's that chemical attack. Do you remember Obama's red line? Then there was a ceasefire that was kind of agreed, but it's still been going on a little bit, the tensions. And now, only recently, 2019, America withdrew. And then just this year and last year, the tensions continue and we've seen Russia's influence grow in the region. They're just to the north of Israel. And uh, I think this... this um, I find this graphic really helpful from the Atlantic because what it talks about is the proxy war, they call it, between who's fighting in Syria. And so on the left, you see, we have Russia, Iran, and Hezbollah from the, from the north of Lebanon, right? These are, you know, Russia and Iran. This is the Rus and Persia of Ezekiel 38, and they're supporting the Syrian government. But on the right-hand side, previously, we have Turkey, we have the, the US, and we have the Gulf states, against the Russians and they're all kind of funding and fueling and, 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 and they're in the mix in this, um, in this kind of terrible civil war. And also interestingly on the left you see that mainly Shiite Muslim nations are, are on the left with Russia and Iran and mainly Sunni nations are on the right with the Gulf states and the rebels and so on. And so it's fascinating to consider the proxy war that has been unfolding there and who's winning out. And so, of course, we think, well, is the US winning out in Syria? Have they done well? Well, no, they're withdrawing some of their troops. So you might remember they did that in 2019 and it said that they were dreading. And um, the Russian forces just came in and took over the military bases that Russia left behind. Um, which is unbelievable when you think about it. The influence of America slowly dwindling in the region. And we've got here some amazing um, titles from 2019. Russia assumes mantle of supreme power broker in the Middle East as US retreats from Syria. And since they've been there, they've, been, they've not just been there for a picnic. They've been building military bases. They had, um, they've got some ports on the, on the seaside there. They're, uh, and they're expanding them. And uh, that's just from May this year. Russia expands military facilities. 
They're there to stay. You know, we would expect that from Bible prophecy because we'd expect them to have a foothold in that area for when they sweep down, as it says in Ezekiel 38, from the north and they come eventually into Israel. What about Africa? What's going on over there? You know, Libya and Ethiopia, verse 5. And um, well, interestingly, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, which obviously happened in the 90s, Russia kind of didn't do much there. But since that time, they've begun to build up their influence in that region again. And so it's interesting that, that Russia, in between 2014 to 2019, accounted for 16% of Russia's major arms exports. So they're selling weapons to Africa. And um, we find in 2019 that Putin himself hosted the Russian-African summit. And they all got together, all the leaders, and they had a, a you know, they, they talked business. And um, we find various African leaders coming and going from Moscow. And so we find also articles like this, you know, Russia in Africa, says the BBC, what's behind Moscow's push into the continent? And when you go through it all, we read there, President Vladimir Putin has said Africa is one of Russia's foreign policy priorities and has spoken about offering political and diplomatic support, defence and security help, economic assistance, disease control, humanitarian relief, educational and vocational training. And so we've got amazing uh, you know, connection now forming between Russia and the North African and African states. And we've got here that, that actually the Russians are actually got boots on the ground in, in Africa because there's a, a military contractor called Wagner that the BBC reports having hundreds of mercenaries on the ground in Libya. So they're there, as we'd expect from Bible prophecy. And eventually, they're going to influence the Libyans to be part of the Gogian confederacy that comes against Israel. Russia prioritises, we read here, just from last month, strategic relations with Africa. And so we've got these, these connections being formed. We also have Russia there, the oil, they're interested in oil. The Ministry of Oil hosts meeting of Libyan-Russian Joint Committee. And there they all are doing a deal on oil. Russia in Libya. And um, the Libyan chief, Al-Haddad, Haddad, meets Russian military delegation in Tripoli. Again, just from November, this is all happening. Um, you know, it's not obviously reported very much in the Western media, but it's all there if you, if you go digging. The other amazing thing is where they're playing in Sudan. And, and that's you know, possibly the area called Ethiopia in our, in, in our Bibles. And um, what we find fascinating is that Russia has just done a deal to put a port in Port Sudan, just, I think it's Port Sudan, but definitely on that coast there, by the, by the, 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 the Red Sea, just south of Israel. And we know from Daniel 11, they come down with many ships. And it's amazing that Russia now has, has a port here Soon to, be, uh, soon to be kind of uh, ready for them to use. So we read this, like the Sudanese leader confirms commitment to deal on Russia military base construction. There's this military bases being built. And so we see a permanent kind of permanence to this, these strategic um, moves from Russia. And of course, when we turn to, to what well, we think, well, look, that's all very well, Matt, but this prophecy is all about them coming against Israel, isn't it? Where do they come? They come against the mountains of Israel, verse 8. And when you look at Israel, you say, well, where's the mountains? Where's the mountains in Israel? And the answer, of course, is right down the middle, which, of course, just so happens to be, as we know, the West Bank area. And so... 2,600 years ago, the prophet Ezekiel says, look, there's going to be absolute international um, conflict on the mountains of Israel and the people there. They're going to be a problem and all these nations are going to come against those mountains. And then we look up and we see, we think, well, where are these mountains? The West Bank area where there's this international controversy because there's a, a bit of confusion as to who owns that area. The most of the... the uh, the, 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 the international community do not believe Israel should have it. But Israel believes in 1967 that they took that back fair and square. They believe it's the land of their ancestors. And so many in Israel believe it is theirs. And so there's this massive tension. It's incredible, isn't it, how the angels seem to have set this up 
so that these prophecies ultimately will fulfill? Do we see the signs of the times is the question. And so we're seeing loads of problems still. Now, this is really fascinating because the United Nations, which represent the majority of the nations here mentioned in Ezekiel 38, we read here, this is just, just from the other week, December the 1st. The UN condemns Israel in three resolutions and erases Jewish connection to Judaism's holiest site. Now, this is a, a watchdog, obviously on Israel's side, but it is interesting what they have to say because they say this. Yesterday, the UN General Assembly accepted three one-sided resolutions targeting Israel as part of a total of 14 resolutions being adopted over the next month that target the Jewish state, with only five of the rest of the world combined. So just think about that. You've got 14 against Israel and how terrible Israel is, and only five against anyone else. And, you know, that includes nations like China, Saudi Arabia, you know, with all sorts of strange things, Russia going on in their, in their countries. But, but that's okay, there's only five for them, 14 for Israel. So the UN's assault on Israel with a torrent of one-sided resolutions is surreal, said Hilal Nuer, executive director of UN Watch, a Geneva-based non-governmental watchdog organization. It's absurd that in the year 2021, out of the some 20 UN General Assembly resolutions that criticize countries, 70% are focused on one single country, Israel. What drives these lopsided condemnations is a powerful political agenda to demonize the Jewish state. Now, obviously, that's his view, and we don't get involved in the politics. We just stand back as Bible students, don't we? We say, well, the Bible says the international community will eventually be so infuriated with Israel that they will have military action against them on those mountains where the settlers are settling and, uh, and are taking place. So I just think that's a remarkable sign of the times. We've just gone through then the aggressors. We've got a dominant Russia with a powerful military. They're definitely against Israel, the nations. Are they uniting together? Well, it could happen quite quickly, couldn't it? I don't think they are exactly yet because we have, uh, we have a divide um, east and west at the moment. But Russia could dominate that very quickly and then we could see uh, the Europeans falling in line potentially quite quickly, particularly with the energy crisis looming. And we could be taken for judgment, uh, that we know the believers are taken for judgment, before this all kicks off. Because in Zechariah, we read that at a time when they attack this force, we know that the saints, the believers, are with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we could, the Lord could be right at the doorstep. That's the sign of the times that we need to think about. And we're going to run through the next bit relatively swiftly. Because we have the defenders, the people of Israel who are trying to defend themselves here, uh, we read that they're regathered from the nations, that they're dwelling safely at the time of the prophecy. They have a spoil, and we read that they're causing controversy on their mountains. So how is that going? Well, obviously as a community, as Christadelphians, we very well rehearse where we know that Israel has been restored. And it's a remarkable fact of history, 1948 onwards. They have got wealth and a spoil with various oil and technical uh, economies going through the roof. And... There are causing controversy, as we've mentioned, on the West Bank. Recently, there's been a new government this year. This is the new president, Naftali Bennett, Israel's 13th prime minister. In January this year, they, uh, they launched attacks against Iran, interestingly, uh, Iranian targets in Syria. Um, in March, they became a world leader, didn't they, in inoculating their population for COVID-19. In May, we saw problems in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount, and um, there were over, by all accounts, 4,000-odd rockets shot into Israel from the Palestinians in, in Gaza. And so they launched Operation Guardian of the Walls, and they, uh, they, they bombed and they, um, they attacked the Hamas rocket sites, much to international consternation. And then in August, we see that Bennett and Biden meet, and they're discussing Iran, and then since that time, really, there's been these tensions uh, with the Palestinians. But what's also interesting is Israel's recent alliances. Because we read in the prophecy that they are seemingly at peace in verse 11. When they're attacked, they're dwelling safely, which is, you know, another strange piece of the puzzle. Uh, 
Now, Israel's political kind of influence is growing in the region. And we can find they've got these new alliances, mainly with the, um, with the Sunni Arab states, which are um, antagonistic to the Shiite Arab states, like Iran. And the Sunni Arab states are looking at Iran growing in power with its nuclear capability, potentially. And they know that if Iran takes out Israel, they'll be next, because that is the philosophy of Iran. And so they're thinking, well, hmm, we don't really want to stand with Iran in this. Maybe we should support Israel and prop them up a little bit and help them. And let's go for peace with them. And so what we're finding is that's exactly what's taking place. So you you see there in the south, we've got the Sunni Gulf states and they're slightly towards the north. We've got the Shiite uh, states, including Iran and Iraq and Syria. That's what's going on. There's like a religious uh, system behind it. We've mentioned this slide before. That is all, you know, being played out in a microcosm in Syria right now. And we find that that's what's taking place. And then you go back just, um, just to 2020. You remember this chap, Donald Trump? He, he brokered that amazing deal, didn't he? The, 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 um, with, uh, with various of the Arab states, Bahrain, UAE. And they called it the Abraham Accords. And interestingly, in the Abraham Accords, if you look them up, you can see them online, the words peace and safety keep popping up all the way through them. Peace and safety, the parties shall attach profound importance to mutual understanding, cooperation and coordination between them in the spheres of peace and stability as a fundamental pillar of their relations. Now, when that all kicked off in May with the Palestinians and and Israel went in, what did the the Western community think? Well, I've got a number of kind of just headlines. They did not like what Israel was doing, even though, you know, from Israel's perspective, they're like, well, hey, look, we're getting rockets shot at us indiscriminately. You know, we've got people going to school. We've got, you know, businesses happening. We're just civilians here and rockets willy nilly flying over and we're not allowed to run into bomb shelters every few minutes. And, um, and so they, they acted. But nonetheless, um, you know, the international community, particularly Russia, was very against Israel making any uh, military um, clashes happen with, Hez- uh, with uh, Hamas. Not sure quite what they expect Israel to do, but that's the case. And we saw absolutely horrific anti-Semitism happening, even in this country. I don't know if you saw the video of them going through London, these Palestinian supporters shouting horrific things about Jews. And so we see anti-Semitism is still alive and well throughout Europe. Anti-Israel protesters in Vienna chant about massacre of Jews. So you can see that the populations, at least part of the populations of these countries, would not be completely against a war with Israel, it may seem. And so there was this uh, this ceasefire that took place eventually back in May. um, And... um, and by all accounts, you know, they've, they've stepped back the military operation, but they're still getting rockets and stuff flying over. But here's the interesting thing. After all that kind of flash of war, the Abraham Accords, remember, with, the, with, with, with some of those Sunni nations, the Abraham Accords passed their first big test. Because usually what would happen is that all the Arab world would condemn Israel. But this time, now these accords are in place, the Sunnis kept, kept a little bit quiet. When war broke out in Gaza, the Arab countries chose reproachment with Israel over solidarity with Palestinians. Interesting. And uh, it, we find Israel now starting to, to cozy up to these Gulf states. Um, there's a, a joint military deal there. Now, obviously, in Ezekiel 38, Israel, it seems, um, we'll, we'll look at the bystanders in, in a minute. And the bystanders, we believe, are from the Gulf in verse 13. So it's interesting to see how that might develop. But the point is, is they are moving towards peace, it seems. And they've just agreed to go to the moon with the UAE, apparently. They've signed a peace deal just this last year with Greece. And so peace, wider than their own kind of immediate uh, area, seems to be part of the agenda. And we've, we've just seen this. This is only from earlier this year. Four nations may sign peace deals with Israel soon, apparently. Amid covid 
Israel enters top 20 club of nations with highest GDP per capita. We expect that. We expect Israel to be prosperous and having a spoil, don't we, in the end of verse 13. That's the challenge of the, the bystanders. And we see uh, Israel's economy growing. We see them doing really well in tech and, uh, and really attracting high-end brands to them. And I don't know if you saw this on the BBC the other day, just a few days ago. Apparently, Tel Aviv is the world's most expensive city to live now, which is testament to the wealth that's going into Israel. And as we say, there's still trouble, though. We've seen that with the Palestinians over in Gaza. There's still problems in the West Bank. And just the other day, this settlement um, was uh, disbanded by the Israelis um, and uh, it's causing a lot of trouble. And recently, like really recently, there's been a lot of terrorism against Israelis. It doesn't get reported much over here, but, um, but some horrific uh, terrorist attacks happening. In fact, all of the ones from this year, you can't read it, obviously, but they're all listed there on the right-hand side from Israel's Ministry of Foreign Affairs. They're all victims of terrorist attacks in Israel on, on, on their deaths. And so we're seeing a lot of this stuff just towards the back end of this year. Hamas killing people, Palestinians um, and, and Israelis clashing and horrific things with people being stabbed and all sorts of horrible things because Hamas has called for the death of the Jews. So that's what's going on over there. And so we look, we think, well, what's going to cause this peace then? What is going to cause the peace? And Israel and the Palestinians, it seems, got to simmer down for this prophecy really to take place. And I just found this quite interesting back in November that Abbas, who represents the Palestinians on the West Bank, seeks Putin's help to revive the Israeli-Palestinian peace process. Doesn't think, I don't think Putin's that keen right now, but wouldn't that be interesting if Russia brokered that peace? So what do we see when we look at Israel, the defenders in this great prophecy? We see them regathered. We see them having a spoil. We see them we're having international controversy on their mountains. Are they dwelling safely right now? You know, we're not sure. But again, that could happen very swiftly. Final part of what we want to talk about is the final group of nations mentioned in verse 13. These group of nations, they challenge the invader in verse 13. They don't seem to act, but all they say is, is art thou come to take a spoil? And they are mentioned there, Sheba, Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, with all the young lions thereof. They're not politically aligned with the aggressors, militarily, economically. They're trading differently, it would seem, to the European, Russian, North African powers and the Iranian powers. They're separate. And um, they're trading together, and particularly, it seems, in the region of the Gulf. And so it's amazing when we, when we think about what those, who those nations might represent. And as all of you no doubt know, um, you know I'm a big uh, believer that you know, I'm fairly sure that, that, that Tarshish here is none other than the, the British power. Um, we go through that in a number of studies that we've done from this platform. If you want to look them up, there's one I did there a few years ago at Brantford in Canada on their Prophecy Day. Where we go through all the clues of why we believe that's the case. So we believe that, that Tarshish is the British power and the young lions are their, their independent political offspring of the mother lion of Tarshish. And so we have the young lions as being Canada and America and Australia and New Zealand. And that's our understanding of what that means there. And then we also have Sheba and Dedan, which are, are territories in the Gulf. They're the peoples of the, the, the Sunni Gulf states, it would seem. And so when we think about that, we're astounded. And by the way, this isn't just what we're saying now these alliances are forming. This is what our community has been saying for almost 100 odd years. And so when Britain went into the EU, you remember, um, you know, Bible students in our community were like, this doesn't make sense. They're going to have to, they can't be part of the European uh, kind of community that comes against Israel because Tarshish stands against it and challenges it in verse 13. And so when Brexit happened, we were astounded, weren't we, with, with that. A great sign, it would seem, that, that, that this prophecy, the, the groundwork's being, being laid for this prophecy to take place. And there's old Boris getting Brexit done, which he did, of course. And we have this new dawn for Britain. 
So we know that that took place. And, you know, since that, 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 that took place, we've seen untold clashes with the EU. Remember, Britain, because it was its, on its own, it could make deals much quicker. It went in, bought loads of AstraZeneca jabs and all sorts of stuff. By the time the EU had gone round all its member states to make a decision, Britain were top of the queue. The deal had been done. And so there was this angst because it was being made in Europe, but Britain had got there first because it would, be, it would seem, because they could negotiate that quicker because of Brexit. And many of us have been blessed with, the, with, with those jabs. So how thankful we are just on a personal level for some of that. But amazing from a Bible prophecy perspective to see that the anger, because what they said was, look, you know, we're going to hold on to that AstraZeneca stuff. Thank you very much, Britain. And Britain were like, what? I thought we were allies. This is a fair game. We did the deal first. And eventually they backed down, didn't they? What else have we seen? We've seen clashes over fishing with uh, permits um, not being issued. And, and uh, even a, a British ship, it was, it, we heard, was held by the French, uh, French military in, uh, in the territorial waters. Unbelievable kind of things going on. You can't quite believe it. And we see Britain looking outside. I mean, it's not great, is it, right now? Let's be honest. There's been um, supply chain problems and we've got all sorts of issues with, um, with that in this country that we're, we're witnessing, empty shelves and so on. I mean, let's be honest, it's not as bad as what some of our brothers and sisters have to, have to suffer. We're doing very well. But from what it was before... But it, so it seems that Britain is, is looking to do trade to get that back on track. And so the Express there with its sensational headline, booming Brexit Britain, UK closing in on CPTPP trade deal, which is basically a big trade deal with loads of, loads of Asia Pacific nations. And they've apparently already done quite a few deals that are in place right now. They've just done a deal with Norway, Iceland and Liechtenstein. That was back in June. Um, they've done a deal with Australia, historic deal. They've done a deal with New Zealand, all the young lion nations. Isn't it interesting? That was just back in October. And literally, is that today? That is today. Today, I was looking at it this morning, US trade deal breakthrough hopes soar as AMT drops major hint in Washington. AMT is Anne-Marie Trevian, who is the, um, the UK International Trade Secretary, she's over there in America, trying to negotiate right now. The young lion nations doing their deals, trading together, and then we have that amazing thing where they, they did this deal, the US, UK and Australia, they formed a military alliance called AUKUS, um, much to uh, China, China, China's consternation. Um, and they hope that they're going to do this mega deal between New Zealand, Canada and Australia next as well. The Kansa Pact, it's called, Kansa. So really interesting. And uh, as we say, the American deal seems to be on the cards. It seems to be taking a little while to be doing, but they reckon it's going to happen. But not only that, we don't expect Britain to just be trading amongst its uh, young lion nations. We also see it there in verse 13, trading with Sheba and Dida. And so we find an amazing uh, flurry of news stories about Britain kicking off its trade in the Gulf with Saudi Arabia. Um, and, um, and we see it there. There she is again. UK lays ground for 2022 Gulf trade talks. You might have seen this recently. Those that like football. Newcastle United just taken over. Just another sign of the close ties between the Saudi Arabians uh, and the British culture. Obviously, not a lot of people agreed with that because of the, the human rights issues in Saudi Arabia, but nonetheless, it's happening. It seems that the people in Newcastle were pretty happy about it, but there we are. And so we have this message, Britain must get back to being a deal-making nation. This is all amazing, brothers and sisters. They didn't have to do that when they were in the EU, but now we see an emerging Tarshish power trading on the world stage once again. And we see those agreements slowly growing on the map there. So what do we see when we look up from our Bibles around this, this group of nations? We see them not politically aligned with Russia, not politically aligned with the EU, as we'd expect. And we see them all trading together. And so I think there's amazing signs of the times that we're witnessing just even this month, but going back for this last year, that should make us sit up and realise, you know what? The Lord is coming. Remember what the Lord said, though, the Lord Jesus to us. 
When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? So our Lord expects us to understand Bible prophecy. He expects us to study it. He expects us to appreciate it, know where we are in the divine timetable. But not only that, he expects us to do something about it, brothers and sisters. And so whatever we're going through, whatever trials and tribulations and challenges we have, whatever obstacles in our lives and difficulties and you know, temptations that we might be facing, let's just think about that. We can see these signs of the times happening when we look up from our Bibles. We can see a dominant Russia. We can see Israel back in the land. We can see all the nations slowly moving towards what God has inspired the prophet to tell us. Those living in the latter days. What will be? And so the question for us is, are we going to do anything about it in our lives as we seek to discern the signs of the times? Thank you. And so... That's it for this week's Bible in the News. Thank you for tuning in and join us again next time, God willing, as we watch for the return of Zion's King with our Bibles in our hands.